VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. All right, let's be real about something. As we get older, get kids, pets, multiple jobs, it becomes harder and harder to find the right time to connect to your partner. But when you do get that sliver of a moment, you need to be ready. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Blue Chew is the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know it works. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, best of all, no more awkwardness. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use our special promo code ARMCHAIR. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's BlueChew.com promo code ARMCHAIR to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. What's up, Bells fans? Welcome to another episode of the Bird Calls podcast. I'm your host, contributor to thebirdrights.com, Preston Ellis. And today we are recapping the Pelican's stellar preseason opening, a 133-109 encouraging beatdown of the Atlanta Hawks. To help me do it, we have our editor-in-chief and stealing the mantle of Mr. Negative today. He's in a grumpy mood, folks. Mr. Ali Cosell, what's up, dude? Oh, Preston, you always announce everything that's going on in our lives on this podcast, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> no, everything's fine. It just, it's just the usual. When, when it rains, it pours. Your day starts off walking the dogs, and then your neighbor starts talking to you, and then your big dog decides, hey, I'm going to go ahead and pop a squat right here. And, of course, <laughs> you, you go to pick it up without noticing that there's a big hole in the bag. So, yeah, that's how my walk <laughs> began. The rest of the day's just gone swimmingly in a similar fashion. Let's move on. I don't want to talk about that. Okay, let's go over to the Prince of the Portocol. He's on his way to see the Joker, Mr. Kevin Berrios. Kevin, are you excited, man? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I tried not to read anything about it, so I can just form my own opinion when I'm in there. But uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I, I really like Joaquin Phoenix, so I think it's going to be a good movie. I'm hoping anyway. For sure. I'm going to try to see it myself either today or tomorrow. Now let's go over to 1280 AMs. That's so hard to say. Host to Hard in the Paint, as well as contributor to the Bird Rights and Crescent City Sports. He's Mr. Big Time in New Orleans now, but he still makes time for us. David Grubb, what's up, dude? Not big time yet, man. I'm, and plus, I'll never be too big for you guys. You know, this is this is my second home. You know, you guys took me in, so I would never abandon uh, you. But I'm doing well. We just finished up a good show. And so I'm, I'm always happy to talk basketball. You know that. Yeah, and I'm sure you had a lot to talk about. We're going to go ahead and start with Kevin because I know uh, he's only got a limited amount of time. Of course, we have to start with Zion. Uh, 16.7 rebounds, 3 assists on 6 of 13. He led the team in minutes in 28. And one of the more encouraging uh, aspects of his game was the bit of finesse that he put on display. But also, the Pelicans are already instituting a couple of actions for him. There was one pistol set where it almost looked like a halfback toss, a la Alvin Kamara. And he had such a head of steam that even though a defender got in front of him, he put on a euro step he dipped it under with his left hand under the defender just truly inspiring display of athleticism and touch kevin talk about some of the things you saw from zion 
Yeah, I don't know what else I have to say after you covered it all. <laughs> no, um, yeah, he had some, uh, you know, powerful dunks, which we would expect from him. That's what everybody knows he can do coming into the league. Um, he looked a lot faster than I thought he was. I mean, you know, he looked quick in the in the scrimmage, but this was a totally different thing. Like that one play where you're talking about where he really uh, took off down the court um, on the fast break. He looked so fast and it's got to be so scary, if, especially if you're like a guard that's back there and the only person back defending the room. Um, I also thought he showed some good handle. He had, uh, like, I think he had like one really sloppy dribble one time, but other than that, his handle looked really good. Um, his jump jumper is pretty ugly still, but that's also to be expected. Um, you know, I joked about it on Twitter last night. It's like, I grew up skateboarding and when we were hanging out with our friends in the parking lot skating, there would always be some cop that would roll up on us, like harass us for a bit. But then, uh, then he would you know, say, Oh, I used to skate watch. I can Ollie. And he did like the worst form Ollie you've ever seen. And that's kind of what the, what Zion's jumper is right now. So hopefully that smooths out eventually. But even without that, you know, he has so many skills that are just impressive and his physical abilities are so impressive. He had that one, um, where where he sort of like floated in the lane and sort of it felt like he paused in the air and sort of adjusted his body around a defender to lay it in around them, showing nice touch uh, and feel around the basket. So, I mean, there's a lot to be excited about him and a lot of the rest of the team as well. Let's go over to Ali. Obviously, uh, his uh, his fitness level has been a, a topic of controversy this summer. Some people saying that he might be over uh, his necessary NBA playing weight. Uh, Alvin Gentry put him at 28 minutes. That led the team. Uh, obviously, just trying to let him get comfortable out there, kind of find his footing. Uh, just in terms of his endurance, it didn't look like he was slowing down at all. No, it looked like he had, you know, at least three different gears out there, right? And we kind of noticed that in the open pub or practice for all those of you who had watched that. Where, you know, he, he's got that burst that's incredible for a 280-pound athlete where it reminds you of Usain Bolt, you know, jumping off the gun, off the line. Um, you, you just don't see that with that size of a player. And he's got that, and he's got, you know, where he kind of just all of a sudden just takes a big step. And all of a sudden he's covering that much territory, like, for instance, when he goes for steals. And, of course, you know, everybody jogs in the NBA, too. So, Zion to me was the issue was never going to be about any kind of playing weight or being overweight. I mean, if you read back and really understand the way the draft process unfolds, usually the top picks, their agents whisk them away from any kind of training, any kind of conditioning, because number one, you don't want to get hurt. Number two, you've got so many other things filling up your time that you really don't get to concentrate on 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 either basketball, working out, etc. And more so you're sitting down eating. And, you know, if you're keeping up the same calorie intake that you are as a player when you're not playing for several months, you're going to put on weight. So that's all that happened. I still think it's hysterical that people are still even talking about it. I mean, he is 19. His metabolism is the size of the the furnace that was probably on the Titanic. I mean, there's nothing to fear. And this first game should have put that all at ease, right? He's jumping higher than anybody, moving faster than anybody in the court. So let's just put this topic to bed, please. (laughs) 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, David, there's not much left to discuss in terms of Zion Williamson, except this was our, our first glimpse of him in an NBA game against NBA level talent. I have loved John Collins ever since I saw him in summer league action two years ago with Ali and Kevin. Uh, he's an explosive playmaker in his own right. I think last year after the all-star break, he was averaging upwards of 20 and 10, somewhere right around there to see him go head to head with John Collins and to see that explosiveness on display. How confident are you that his talent is going to translate to a very good NBA player right away um it, it all depends on what that standard is early um, because you do see the the holes um and they're, they're not giants but he's a rookie and, and i think alvin did a good job of talking about that last last night and over the last couple of days and, and just giving people the understanding that there are things that are going to take time i do believe he's going to have to learn that when he is in the post area, you know, that he's going to face a lot of double teams. People are going to come at him quickly to force him to make quick decisions. That's something that he's going to have to learn. I, I think you saw him and a couple of other Pelicans defenders. I'm not going to isolate Zion on this, but who got their heads caught looking in the wrong direction defensively. Um, and, and they have to work on their communication skills. And all this stuff is what you see early in a training camp. Um, but you also see that just on his natural understanding of the game what he brings to the table now there are things that are going to be very easy to translate rebounding translates um instantaneously people who know how to rebound know how to rebound and he certainly knows how to do that he only had one offensive board yesterday i don't expect that to be the case very often um and then i think the other thing is you out of zion is that he's got to improve his shot his free throw shooting at four for seven is something that's going to have to improve because he's going to get to the line a considerable amount of time this season. And the second thing is, you know, not, neither of his three-point attempts looked very good. Um, so those are things he's going to have to work on. I know the team is going to continue to encourage him to shoot um, because he cannot be on the wing where he's going to be on a number of occasions and not be a threat at times to shoot the ball. Um, so it wasn't perfect. And I think it's easy to get caught up in, in the, those highlights. But there's things he has to learn. And I, and I think he comes in and he's going to be effective from day one. Um, but to say he's going to be among the very best, I think would be unfair. Um, I think he'll be a very good contributing starter in year one. Um, and you look to see progress throughout the season. But you can see where he, what he doesn't know right now. All right, Kevin, we've got a lot of topics, so we're going to go ahead and gloss over some. Drew Holiday was great last night. Jaleel Okafor resembled that guy who went on that great 10-game stretch in late January when he took over for Anthony Davis. But uh, the two probably biggest follow-up topics to Zion Williamson are probably Lonzo Ball's jumper and Nikhail Alexander-Walker. And I want to start with Nikhail Alexander-Walker, Kevin. Uh, obviously, he is making a push for minutes well ahead of schedule. He was going to be redshirted this year before his summer league breakout. 12 points, two assists, one rebound, two steals on five of 10, just came in and was a, a towering inferno, just lighting up the scoreboard immediately. How confident are you in Nikhail Alexander's game right now? I remember on draft day when I tweeted, I hope uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker falls to 17. I was so psyched that we got him, and I've been, you know, pushing him ever since. I, it doesn't surprise me at all. It's kind of what I expected out of him. I think he's made Frank Jackson very replaceable. Um, I think, you know, it's going to be very tough for Frank to get minutes, and I would I would expect all those minutes to go to, to Naw now because, I mean, he has everything that you would want from Frank. He, he provides that playmaking ability. He provides uh, quality defense. He can score. He, can, he has a more reliable jumper. 
He can score from multiple levels. Uh, he's more versatile. He can guard three positions. Um, the only thing he doesn't have is Frank's otherworldly athleticism. And I think that's not as important for this team. So um, I think you're going to see him get at least, you know, 10 minutes a game um, most nights. And, uh, you know, I mean, there'll be some nights where he won't play probably, but when he plays, I think they'll try to give him a nice little run to uh, get him comfortable and let him impact the game. Um, and I just expect him to be, you know, a cornerstone of this team for a long time. Now, Ali, everybody's been uh, pitting uh, Naw against Frank Jackson in terms of those backup point guard minutes. I've heard a lot of people talk about it recently, but I never thought he was really going head to head with Frank Jackson. More in terms of Nikhil Alexander has to outperform guys, not necessarily like Lonzo and Drew and Etwan Moore and Josh Hart, but all those guys are battling for backup minutes and there just aren't that many to go around uh just to reiterate jj reddick etuan moore josh hart brandon ingram is going to be facilitating the point guard uh, or point forward duties in some respects so you don't really need a point guard as much as people are making it out to be you just need somebody who can fill those backcourt minutes and do the things that the team needs what about nikhil alexander walker makes you think that he can fit any role uh in the backcourt for the pelicans well, we saw it in Summer League, the fact that he picked up after what was a Frank Jackson in the very first quarter in the opening game out in Vegas, uh, was entrusted with those point guard duties. Well, he, he, he couldn't quite manage. And so Nikhil Alexander-Walker took over. And, you know, ever since that time, you know, he flourished. Sure, he still makes incorrect reads. He'll have some turnovers. But we saw why that, you know, Trajan Langdon, others have told us that he's not only a good shooter, not only can be a great defender, it's the fact that he can really play make. And, you know, yesterday there was a lull in the game. If everybody caught, Alvin Gentry removed all the stars in particular. I'm looking at the four guys that should be the primarily uh, primary ball handlers, right? Lonzo, Drew, uh, B.I., and, of course, Zion. When he sat all three of those – or all four of those guys down, <laughs> suddenly the offense literally ground to a halt. You had Etwan Moore, J.J. Redick, and Josh Hart – bringing up the ball, trying to initiate some kind of offense, and there was none. If it hadn't been for Julio Okafor eating up every single offensive rebound for like a stretch over four or five minutes, Pelicans would have found themselves down by like 15 or so points, I think. Uh, so we, we noticed it right then and there, and of course I think Alvin did too. And suddenly you saw, well, first Lonzo Ball came in back at the start of second quarter, but then he started playing Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And then, of course, Melly, I think, added to it. And, and the ball never seemed to stop anymore, never seemed to just get stuck good shots weren't taken. And so I do see Preston why, you know, you talk about that depth. I can see why, you know, maybe Alvin Gentry will think to himself, I got to get this kid minutes. I mean, he's already shown he can score against these guys. He can do a lot of things, but keeping this offense going, I think that's going to be the biggest key. I mean, I, I'm not sure what we're supposed to make of the Pelicans shooting. What was it like 17 of 45 from three? And they were a lot higher, or they, they were shooting for a better efficiency actually through the first half or even the first three quarters than that. So I don't know if that's an aberration because, you know, we don't expect this team to be really good considering their main three-point shooters, their most effective ones, are all coming off the bench in reserve minutes. So I think it is key for Nikhil Alexander-Walker to be incorporated because this offense, they're going to have to just push the pace at every single turn, try and hit open men, cutters, you know, play kind of more traditional style as to where this run and gun and just pull up from three isn't going to be, I think, in, in our strategy, right? I mean, again, 45 attempts from three. 
who would have thought that we would see the Pelicans do that on opening night? I know it's a preseason, but I was surprised. All right, David, let's continue with that line of thinking uh, that Ali was talking about, that unique rotation where he put in J.J. Moore and Josh Hart. That's probably not something we're ever going to see in the regular season. I would think throughout most of the season, as long as the two of them are healthy, we're going to see one of Lonzo or Drew on the floor at all times. Do you agree? No, not necessarily. I think that, um, you know, there will be times when both of them get rest, depending. Again, everything is situational. Um and I think that they're, you know, you can give them rest at the same time to, uh, if the Pelicans are, depending on how they're playing. But I don't see any situations where you take three guys who are not ball handlers and put them on like that. Because, I mean, Josh Hart is a decent ball handler. Each one more is a decent ball handler. And J.J. Redick is better than probably the both of them. But I wouldn't want either, either one of them initiating my offense, not a single one of them. And I think the, the thing that, the only thing that, uh, just going back to Nikhil for a quick second, is he turned it all over a lot in, in, in summer league, and he turned it over again last night. That's the biggest thing for him. I think he's so aggressive um, is that he's got to stop the turnovers. And that's always a problem with rookies. Um, he's got to be a little more discerning in his passing. But I'm not as worried as, a, uh, as, I, as I was going into um, this season on, on seeing – uh, if there was going to be a backup point guard emerge, because I think you're right. I think the way this offense is set up, um, when the second unit is in, there can still be enough ball movement. Uh, you have enough guys who are, are able to pass the basketball and move without the basketball. Uh, and I think, again, the dynamics yesterday were shifted because you didn't have Derek Favors but for eight minutes of the game. You know, those types of things. You, you didn't really see um, how these guys are going to play together as groups. So Alvin had to play around and especially because he had to get everybody in. So we saw some very awkward groupings. But, yeah, I, I would never imagine that group being together again. Um, but, yeah, I, I do agree with you that most of the time one of the two will be on, but you can survive for stretches without both of them on the floor. All right, this might be Kevin's last question because I know he has to leave us soon. But if Lonzo and Drew are not on the floor, there's another player who can facilitate kind of those point guard, point forward duties. At least that's what we were led to believe. Uh, and that's Brandon Ingram, Kevin. Last night, he started off kind of choppy, settling for those, uh, I don't know, those deep uh, two-pointers, those 18-footers. But then in the third quarter, he got a little bit more comfortable, scored 11 points. He was getting to the basket a little bit more. He hit a three-pointer. What did you see uh, in Brandon Ingram's game in terms of from last year to this year? And do you think he can facilitate those playmaking duties if Lonzo or Drew are off the floor playing off ball? Yeah, I mean, I've been saying that a lot this offseason, too, through the roundtables and on pods, is that I think Ingram will be the first guy subbed out, and then he'll sub back in to take over for Lonzo as sort of the facilitator, and then, you know, probably have him flanked at some point with Hart and Reddick, so he has some shooters to provide him space to operate and, and dish, and I, I think that's the way they're going to go, um, and, you know, I obviously, when you're looking at Brandon Ingram, we learned that he wasn't really doing anything throughout the off season uh, because of his injury. And he's just now getting back to basketball shape. And even while I was uh, watching him in the scrimmage, you know, I saw him grabbing at his shoulder a little bit. I think probably he's still going through physical adjustments to being back into the game. And that's going to take him out of the game a little bit mentally. So I'm not that concerned with uh, any little struggles I see from him yet. I think he's still getting adjusted and acclimated. And I think that's fine. But I think what we've seen so far hasn't been bad. And in fact, to double down on the fact that he'll be used a lot as a playmaker in the blue and white scrimmage, we saw 
um, at the beginning, he was basically running the point with Drew as the two guard um, for the blue team when they were in there. He was the one bringing the ball up and initiating the offense early on in that scrimmage. And I think that's the plan with him um, to be that sort of de facto backup point. Um, but yeah, this is going to be my last question. So I got to go. <laughs> I'll talk to you guys next time. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, Kevin. We're going to slide over to Ollie. Obviously, you can follow up with Brandon Ingram, Ollie, but I also want you to get in on Lonzo Ball's shot. A lot of people are asking about it. Is it fixed? It, it felt like it was still drifting over the left eye a little bit, but it was a lot smoother and it looked like the release was a little bit quicker. Of course, he started well. I think he hit his first two shots. He ended up something like three for 10. But overall, it was a pretty encouraging sign. What did you see about those two former Lakers games last night? I liked everything. I mean, Kevin already nailed it with Brandon Ingram. The guy didn't pick up a basketball for like five months or so. So to grade him harshly, and I know he started that first quarter, he was, you know, I guess holding on the ball a little bit too much offensively. And when he was shooting, it was kind of either contested or, you know, the simple fact is I think he started 0 for 4 or something like that in the game. And so it didn't, like like Kevin said already, he didn't take off until the third quarter. But again, you look at everything else that this guy did. I saw a couple of good defensive plays. You, you saw him communicating with his teammates. You saw him chasing down rebounds. You saw the fact that this guy's going to be a team player. I mean, I don't care that a player in preseason is trying to get his shot going. And look, you've got to understand one thing about Brandon Ingram. He is very good to great in both isolation and in pull-ups. He's among the leaders, honestly, in both categories in the league. And he's just 21 years old. He's only going to get better. He's only going to add more things to his game. So you don't want to, just like we've talked about with Zion, you don't want to put a cap on a young guy who honestly physically has the same kind of gifts as Kevin Durant, right? I mean, that's why those comparisons were made. So let's not limit him now. We know we know what kind of circus was out there in LA. We know all the injuries he's dealt with. So that's what I'm taking from this game. I'm not concentrating on the mistakes so much as the positives on looking on what this player can become. I think that's the way we should grade all these young guys, just like Lonzo Ball. I mean, it's amazing how everybody's already called him a bust. You know, after two seasons, a guy's chronically hurt uh, because of his ankle injuries, those chronic ankle injuries are always prop, cro cropping up. The guy can't shoot, can't even hit 50% from the free throw line. Oh, look, suddenly his form looks different, right? Granted, it's going to probably take at least a year, probably two in my mind, before he really gets comfortable, before he repeats it. Because David and I noticed in the open practice, his first three-pointer looked really reminiscent of the one that he shot in his rookie season out in L.A. And then, of course, he followed up with the one that we saw all in training camp last week. So it's going to be a process. But, boy, for him to have that confidence, right, for him to take those first open looks, he even had a step back, you know, almost kind of like a hardened uh, type of shot that you don't see except out of the most confident three-point shooters in the league. And Lonzo was launching them. He had six three-point attempts in the first half, hit half of them. That's what you get excited about. You know what he brings to the game, and you know what his deficiencies are. But again, how old is he? 21. So it's great to see that maybe he's taking another step as well. So from the Lakers, we saw exactly what we wanted to see. You want these guys to keep developing, and you want the Pelicans to give them every opportunity to do so and look like they did, or they will. 
David, we're going to concentrate on Lonzo Ball shooting because obviously that's what we were the most worried about. But just in terms of his overall game, uh, just as we were hoping, he kind of fits in perfectly with that starting lineup. Uh, he just sits back there and hits uh, those threes when he has the open looks. But in terms of facilitating, in terms of uh, rebounding, uh, he was very proficient in both of those skills as well. And he's fitting in really nicely. The scoring throughout the starting lineup was pretty even. Uh, we didn't see much of Derek Favors. But just talk about all the intangibles that he brings outside of his shooting and how that fits in with this starting group that we were led to believe was got, kind of going to be a clunky fit. Yeah, I never thought that. I thought that Alonzo fits in with, with what Alvin wants to do better than any point guard that Alvin has probably had since Steve Nash, obviously, um, because he does all the little things. You saw it seven assists, one turnover in a game where people were committing a lot of turnovers by trying to move too quickly. You can see that Lonzo gets it. And, you know, the defining play of the night for me, there are two for Lonzo that, are, that, that stand out. The first was his first three-point attempt that came off the feed from Drew Holiday. Um, like I said, it was a, a little bit – it wasn't even a screen by Zion, but it was, it was just like a half – I just gave him a half step on a closeout by Trey Young. Drew hits him right in the pocket, and Lonzo goes up, no hesitation, quick release. That was it, it, you know, it got off in the kind of time that you wanted to see it, and he buries it because he wasn't thinking about it. Um, that was even more impressive to me than the step back because the step back was a confident shot. The first one was much more of a I'm in rhythm, let me see, you know, I'm going to take it shot. Um, and, and I thought that was great. But then you talk about, you know, the play, the play where he gets the block, gets the ball down to court, finds Drew, gets it back, and sees Zion where I didn't see him because Zion wasn't on the screen yet. And then Lonzo looks over his left shoulder and flips it to Zion as Zion comes down and buries, you know, buries the dunk. And those are the kinds of things that you didn't get out of the point guard position. And you talk about guys like the way Rajon Rondo thrived and set assist records with the Pelicans while he was there, the way Tim Frazier was able to squeeze what he got out of there. And you, you add what Lonzo has and those intangibles, the ability to rebound like you saw. Um, the 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 ability on defense to again, you could see he gets it. He just understands spacing um, defensively, and he got caught a couple times turning the wrong way. And I, I think that that again that'll happen as guys are getting familiar with each other. But he brings so much of what you don't normally pay attention to um, to the game, and you can see that they respond to his pace and his ability to move the ball up the court without the dribble is so important for this team because guys are able to change in so quickly. And quickly, I just wanted to say about Brandon Ingram, the thing that really impressed me about him was he was not scared of contact early on. That pass from Nicola Melli to him on the wing where he finishes right at the rim and took some contact, that was encouraging to see for a guy who is coming off of um, an injury and who is slight of build. To, he, he went to the rim and he got on the offensive glass. He had a couple of nice touches there. So it didn't seem like he was shying away from contact. Um, and that was important. But as far as Lonzo goes, man, he has the chance. He has a chance to be um, a double-double guy in points and assists and be right near there in his rebounds. If he's not getting six, seven uh, rebounds a night, I'd be shocked. And then, he again, he adds that block shot dimension. He adds that's the, the ability to get steals. And if he's not going to turn it over, if he's, if he's going to be a guy with a four-to-one, five-to-one assist-to-turnover ratio, man, come on. The sky's the limit for that offense. 
Gambling. It's not the most prevalent of topics at the family barbecue, but the truth is, it can be quite fun. Picking a couple of friends to play some friendly wagers before a game can immediately raise the stakes and make your Sundays even more exhilarating. And that's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Football fans, you can even bet after kickoff, so if it looks like your bet is fading, just take the other side. If you like to bet a lot, try a parlay. You can multiply your winnings and brag to your friends as the money rolls in. But now is the best time to join because MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code CHAIR to activate the offer. That's promo code CHAIR. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. All right, Ali, we're going to do our last player recap, and then we're going to get into questions. And that, of course, needs to be about Nicolo Melli. And mm-hmm. if you guys are not following Ben Pfeiffer on Twitter, make sure you do that. He's got some great uh, video breakdowns of Melli's game and just what he contributes to the team outside of just his shooting. We all like to compare him to Nikola Meritich just because he's an international player. He's white. He fits about the same size and build. But other than that, there are so many different aspects of his game that are going to benefit this team. And one of those aspects is his versatility not just offensively, but defensively, the way he quarterbacks the defense, uh, his playmaking instincts, all those things. Alvin Gentry talked about him and said that he was a very good player. And just like a lot of those Euro League players, they're very smart. Nicola Melli complained that the game was a little bit too fast for him during the open practice, but he looks comfortable to me out there, Ali. Yeah, he definitely did. And that kind of surprised me, actually. I mean, here's one thing people need to understand about the EuroLeague. They're all, of course, talented basketball guys. But when you compare it to, say, the NBA, to where, honestly, athleticism kind of reigns supreme, uh, that's not the case with the EuroLeague. Usually, a lot of those guys are amongst the, the smartest basketball players. The ones that do well, I should say, are among the smarter of the group. They're the ones that possess the most versatility. And they're, they're the ones that have, you know, that kind of drive to just do everything and be kind of good at everything, right? And so that's exactly what I think Melly is. I mean, there's not a single thing I don't think this guy can't do, you know, that's not in his skill set. Now, he's not going to be great at any one thing. Um, we've got to expect his jumper, though, to turn around, right? This guy has shot over 40% in the EuroLeague for I don't know how many seasons now. But other than that, yeah, I was taken aback because, look, he – came in the game, and he immediately fit like a glove. He was a guy that was kind of directing the offense anytime he got he caught the pass at the top of the key. And then he was the one making decisions with the ball, whether to break his man down, drive in. You know, fin- one time he finished with a half-scoop shot, you know, floating around a defender. I mean, who knew that this six foot nine, six foot ten guy could do something like that? He's about 28, 29, and, you know, he didn't even average 10 points a game last season over there in Europe. But again, he put up a stat line of 11 points, eight rebounds, four assists, two steals. It really does speak highly to the versatility that this guy has, the skill set that he has. And the best part about it is that Alvin Gentry has one of these guys on the bench. You know, everybody that they do, the Pelicans do have, they're good at something. They're good, really good, especially with the big men in certain areas. But one thing they can't do is shoot the ball well, to play make well, and do all those other little kind of intangibles, especially that IQ part, right? That veteran presence, as you just alluded to, Preston, defensively, knowing where everybody should be. So he's out there kind of helping you. He'll even push you. You know, if you look at what you just referenced, uh, Ben's piece, I think he even has a clip of where Melly goes and literally shoves a guy into uh, defensive positioning just because he's got to go out and get his man. And Melly's like, just get over there right now. So you love what this guy brings, and he's exactly you know what I was told by uh, several people. 
within the Pels and everybody who follows the NBA is that this guy is so savvy, you're just going to fall in love with him. So we see why Trajan Langdon was high on him. And boy, I think he's going to be a big key to the Pelicans' success. Now, David, we didn't see much of Derek Favors last night, but we know he's one of the best finishers in the league. Defensively, he's a real difference maker, and he's somebody we expect to make a leap forward. But just in terms of Nicolo Melli's fit, where do you see him fitting in the rotation? What position? Obviously, he's so versatile. He's going to be staggered whenever he's on the floor with Zion Williamson, Brandon Ingram, between the three, the four, and the five. Just kind of salivate for us. Talk about a front court of Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Nicolo Melli all the versatility, all the playmaking between those three players. Do you think we're going to see that sooner rather than later? Yeah, I think you'll definitely see that lineup um, employed kind of like, you know, as a lineup of death, you know, similar to what the Golden State Warriors use. You put Zion at the five, not at the four, because I think you want Melly at the four because of his ability on the perimeter to handle the ball. That was something like, like Ali said, I was surprised how well he handled the ball in transition. Um, again, that assist to Brandon Ingram was a beautiful sequence from start to finish. Um, and he was in complete control of the, of the ball. Um, and, and so I think you will see some smaller, you know, um, ball lineups where you put Zion at the five, put Melly at the four, leave Ingram at the three, you put Reddick at the two and drew at the one. And you have a group that can get up and down the floor. You have your shooter, your shooters in both Melly and in, in, um, JJ, um, and then you have Drew who can push the ball. Your defense shouldn't suffer um, with that group uh, because of the, you still have length and you still have athleticism on the court. So I can see in stretches you playing all three of those guys together, not long stretches because that's, that's the, the way that works. It doesn't work if you do it for 20 minutes. But if you do it in these five to six-minute bursts with that group, you can create tempo you can, and you can extend leads with that group depending on what your advantages are. And I, I like that as a matchup. Um, I'm not as, as, as you know, um, I'm not going to be completely jacked until I see him start to hit some jumpers. Uh, mm-hmm. Because, again, over since the scrimmage and uh, last night, I think he's, what, probably like one for 13 from three <laughs> so far. But yeah. So we'd like to see him get consistent there. Um, but at the same time, he showed the ability to not just rely on his um, outside shot to be able to, as Ollie said, create other opportunities for himself as a scorer. And that's critically important. And, and as much as we love Nico Meritich, um, looking at Melly, I think he has a more well-rounded skill set that fits into this offense potentially even better. Um, it's just going to be, can he be a consistent rebounder like uh, Meritich was? Yeah, and he's never he's never going to have that game that Nikola Mirotic had with those 30-foot um, uh, lightning-quick trigger at three-point shots that uh, when they were on, uh, it was truly a sight to see that guy could go off for 15 points in a quarter easy, but he was also prone to shooting slumps. Uh, and that's not going to be a problem with Nikola Melli because he affects so so many other aspects of the game that even when he does shoot four for 11, one for six from three-point range last night, there's so many other important things he does on the floor to make those around him better. better. I think that's going to be his real difference this season. All right, we're going to get into a series of one-off questions where I ask one of you a question, you answer it, and then we go to the next one. Um, yeah, I'm going to start with Ali. This is from Finn the Human, who asks us a lot of questions. Really appreciate you, sir. He says, we're talking about all the great things about last night's game, Ali. Let's talk about some of the negative stuff. What were some of your least favorite things you saw last night? Oh, all right, let's give you a top three. Okay, David's already touched on Zion, all the improvements he has to make. But again, that's not really a negative. 
that's just a simple fact of life. 19-year-old hitting the NBA after just one year of college, he's got a lot of nuances to learn. Uh, defensively, I wasn't too happy uh, with a lot of spurts in the game. You know, even the way we began, even with the starters, you know, the first three or four, five, four minutes of the game were really shaky, right? Um, even Drew Holiday got burned a couple of times. I mean, each one more is left standing in the dust. We saw Melly too. Rotations weren't made. Um, but again, that's to be expected. So many different faces on a new team for the first time. Uh, it's going to take a while to, you know, just, like I said, learn the system, learn each other, and just basically learn what Jeff Bezdilic wants. But again, we saw the highlights, too, of that. You know, it's hard to really nitpick. I mean, you want to see them definitely take better care of the ball. I mean, both teams combined for, I think, close to like 50 turnovers. Both ended up with 20 or more. Uh, you've got to cut that down. The Pelicans, like I said, I do not expect them to be a good, consistent three-point shooting team. So they're going to try and they're going to need to take care of that basketball if they're going to want to be able to dictate the pace to really shove it down the throats of opponents. You can't be turning it over and selling, giving the other team, you know, 20 open, you know, three point looks, you name it, which leads to invariably usually case of Pelicans last year was like 30 points or more, you know, points off turnovers. Um, again, there, there's not too much else because we saw what we wanted to see, right? The depth, everybody contributed. Everybody was aggressive. Everybody loved playing. Everybody loved playing for each other. We saw nothing but, like, you know, team, that, that kind of team vibe, right? So I'm not going to dwell on anything because it's a preseason. You don't want to get too high. You don't want to get too low. All right, let's go over to Grub. Uh, something that I was trying to say earlier that I think I didn't put in the best terms, but I've got another opportunity now. I never thought that Nikhil Alexander-Walker was uh, going against Frank Jackson. <clears throat> Nikhil. Nikhil. Nikhil? What am I saying? Nikhil, you said Nikhil or something like that. It's not uh, Kevin McHale. Okay, Nikhil. All right, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. Uh, so, David, uh, I don't think he's going against Frank Jackson because the rotation is already kind of stacked. Of course, you've got Okafor in line for minutes. You've got Melly in line for minutes. You've got J.J. Redick. He's definitely going to get minutes. That's eight right there. So in if, in breaking into that nine-man rotation, he's going to have to prove that he can play make. He's going to have to prove that he can hit the three-point shot. He's going to have to prove that he can play defense. So he's really battling Etwan Moore and Josh Hart for those minutes obviously those two guys give you the guaranteed shooting they give give you the veteran presence but do you think who who would you say is more in trouble right now in terms of getting those minutes Etwan Moore or Josh Hart or both of them well for Etwan we know he's in the last year of his deal so I think the Pelicans have two goals with Etwan um A Alvin trusts him you know you've got a guy who shoots 40 percent from three and you want to see him get his shots on occasion. And he doesn't have to play the three anymore. Um, so I think no matter what, uh, Etwan's going to get minutes early on um, because of that trust factor. Uh, but I think the other part, too, is there is, uh, I believe that there's some idea that they would like to um, make sure that they showcase him in some ways uh, as an asset. Uh, to be moved potentially uh, down the line. I think he and Frank actually could both end up being moved um, to clear minutes for Nikhil down the road. Um, but I don't think Nikhil's going to get those minutes early on. Uh, so I think that's really the battle there. Um, Josh Hart has, has, has an uphill climb. Uh, we know what he can do, and we like Josh. But at the same time, I think he has an uphill climb to show enough versatility 
to stay on the floor. He's going to have to um, be able to prove that he can knock down his shot consistently. He's going to have to be able to prove he can defend for multiple positions. And he's going to have to prove that he can handle the ball um, a little bit more. And I think that's why they tried him out a little bit um, as a lead guard to see if he could handle the ball. Because that's going to be so important in transition. Like you said, the decision-making overall for this group is, is going to be one of the most important factors throughout the season. They can't turn the ball over 20-plus times. Um, so, yeah, I think Josh probably has the highest hill to climb um, because they're so high on Nikhil. And when uh, David Griffin goes out of his way to mention that it would be a surprise to Nikhil if he doesn't get minutes, I think that they all feel like that, that if his development isn't enough, that they would be surprised. So, yeah, I think Josh Hart is the guy who needs to fend him off. Oh, this is interesting, Ali. Uh, those questions were hmm. from Samuel Kushner and friendly neighborhood Sabi boy. And I'm going to follow up on it, Ali, because we're in this position where Nikhil is playing so well that he needs to get minutes and he needs to get it now. But you're actually posing a detriment to your team by playing this well this now because you do have those assets in Josh Hart and Etwan Moore that if they're not part of your long-term plans, you still need to put them in a positive light so that you can then trade them. So the Pelicans are almost forced to play an 11-12 12-man rotation and like Steve Clifford said last week when guys don't get enough minutes they cannot perform well you need minutes to perform well and that's going to bring us to our next question from Austin what are y'all's thoughts on the rotations for this game I'd like to see more JJ in the mix so Ali do you think that Alvin Gentry is kind of forced at this point to head into the regular season with an 11 possibly 12-man rotation I don't think it would be forced at all I hope he does it I think we, we we talked about it ad nauseum Pelicans' key this season is going to play defense and, of course, turn around and score back as quickly as they can and hopefully in transition. That's going to be their key to success. The best way to do it is by having fresh legs out there. How do you do it? You rotate through as much of that bench as you can. And like I said, it's I know it's rare. It's rare that even coaches nowadays like to even play 10-man rotations, but I think they should explore doing 11 or 12. I know it's going to lead to a little bit more inconsistent roles, the starters won't see, you know, 33, 34, 35 minute ranges. Some of them like to play that many because they like their stats. But I think the key should be is, is keeping those legs, you know, healthy and uh, fit for each game. And the best way to do it, just play everybody. Play everybody that's deserving of those minutes. You, you keep seeking out those rotations, especially amongst the reserves, until you find ones that really click. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with Alvin actually, you know, going against the grain and going, you know, like I said, very deep in his bench this upcoming season. All right. We've got two questions left and then we're going to get out of here. Thank you so much to positively Pelicans, low key, uh, Tyler Warren. I think we've pretty much covered some of these questions. So we're going to go ahead and press on. This is one that I've been waiting to get to David. I am very excited for Casey Rogers question, which national media outlet will be the first to say, are we sure the Pelicans aren't a playoff team? This is something that I tweeted out last night, something that we were uh, probably not so quietly anticipating all summer long was that eventually everybody was going to start to jump on the bandwagon of not just the Pelicans are exciting. It was going to convert to the Pelicans are now good. And I'm going to give you a second to, to ruminate on it while I think Skip Bayless and Jalen Rose will be the first ones to do it because these are both guys that thrive on those those hot takes or speculating about something kind of wild, being the first to get out on something. So I'm going to say Skip and Jalen are going to be the first ones to say the Pelicans are a bona fide playoff team. I hate you, team. Preston. I hate you. <laughs> steal my stuff. 
Because I know it's going to be Skip Bayless is going to be first. I know it's going to be Skip because Skip would love anything that burns LeBron's ass. And so <laughs> the Pelicans being good, Chaps with Chap LeBron, I, I think that I think that's number one. And then yeah, Jalen absolutely um, because Jalen is a guy who who is has been not as critical. Um, of the Pelicans and some of the other folks there, but he talked about the franchise itself, but overall he hasn't really been ever too brutal on Alvin Gentry. Um, I think he's high on Zion. I think he loves Drew Holiday. Um, and when you, again, you look at the West and people are, have so many variances that this is going to fluctuate throughout the season. Um, but yeah, I absolutely believe um, that Zion alone is going to be enough for people to flip though I wouldn't use that as my barometer, but I think that that will cause some people to flip. And it's going to be a lot of, if they, if they do ABC, this is a team that could get seven or eight in the West. And I think that you're going to hear a lot of that because people are going to hedge their bet, but they also want to be able to, to be at some point during the season and say, I told you, look at the Pelicans. And I think those two guys are going to be at the front of that. Maybe even a Nick Wright, maybe even a Nick Wright. Cause Nick sometimes goes, to places um, and, and steps out on limbs. I think he would be in that group too. All right, Ali, go ahead and an answer that one just because it's so fun. And then we'll get to Quinito Rodriguez. I hope I pronounced that right. And his question is just basically, how deep do you think the Pelicans can possibly go in the postseason? So let's start with who do you think is going to come out with this red hot, uh, hot take this morning? And uh, how far do you think the Pelicans can actually go? It has to be Skip. If you guys remember last year, after the first four games, Pelicans are 4-0. I remember Skip saying the Pelicans are going to be a top-four team in the West. He was certain of it. And he went through this, like, 10-minute tirade or something. Uh, I remember, I, I rarely watch him, and somebody pointed that out to me. So I'll, my, my bets are completely on him as well. Sorry not to give you anybody new. Um, as for how deep can they go, yeah, I just actually answered one of those questions in doing a big summary write-up for – the uh, SB Nation is going to be published sometime soon. And I, I said, I'm predicting them honestly go 42 and 40. And this was before yesterday's game. But I had made some wiggle room for it could be about four wins or so higher, depending on how well they uh, learn these systems, right? Jeff Bastelic and what Chris Finch wants. All these guys learn each other and mesh out of the gates. That's going to be the biggest key. And in addition, you're going to need to have major improvement out of one of Zion, or excuse me, out of Lonzo or Brandon. And of course, Zion's going to have to adapt to the NBA quicker. So there's a lot there on the table. But again, there's a solid base. You've got great vets: Drew, Favors, JJ Redick, uh, and, and these young guys. They're talented, and we we've seen that in open practice. We saw it last night. So. I think it's safe to say that I don't think there's a bottom anywhere really lower than I think Vegas predicted 38 and a half wins. It's hard to see them really miss under unless injuries hit because there's just too much talent. It's really deep, deep team. I think that's going to be maybe one of the biggest things that people are going to learn about this team in the first month or so when we're on national TV, right? And if Alvin Gentry's going to bench and the production keeps up, you know, the Pelicans are still getting it after it no matter who Alvin throws out there. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing. 
All right, I'm going to answer these real quick. This is from Low Key. Outside of JJ, any players you think will stretch the opposing defense with a three-point shot? I think that's going to be the battle for minutes between Frank Jackson, Nikhil, JJ, Josh Hart, Etwan Moore, uh, Kenrich Williams. Whoever can confidently stretch the defense like that is going to get the first crack at those minutes. Uh, those veteran guys that we talked about, Moore and JJ, they're going to get the first shot at that. But uh, it's going to be a dogfight between the rest of the guys. Uh, Eli Gidry, where do you think the we'll finish in ticket sales? I, it looks like we're going to break records uh, i think we're right at about twelve thousand season tickets so far and with each and every one of these preseason games i think more and more tickets are going to sell the last question from hornet 21 do you expect hayes and Nikhil to get meaningful minutes in their rookie year i'm going to say no on hayes um except on nights where uh Derek favors needs to rest jaleel okafor needs to rest obviously those guys are going to get some bumps and bruises along the way and we will get some glimpses at jackson but i don't think we're going to get anything meaningful in terms of Nikhil. I, I was all for redshirting him this year because the team is so deep. But when he's playing this well, you have to be active. You have to get him out on the floor and see if you do have lightning in a bottle, a la Donovan Mitchell, because obviously we're getting ahead of ourselves. But he has played that well. And early indications are he is a very good player right now. And we don't know how good he can be, but he could be a part of this regular rotation if he continues to perform like that. He shows no fear whatsoever. Um, all right, let's let's get out of here. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Remember, if you want to give the podcast your support, patreon.com slash Preston Ellis. But really, we just need you to share this podcast give us a five-star rating retweet all that good stuff uh ali cosell our editor-in-chief what are you working on sir well we've still got three more preseason games in the next six days so we got to cover that we've got to do the player previews and i want to start looking at this defense and the young guys a little bit more in depth but i haven't decided on how to yet all right, David Grubb, obviously you've got your radio show. You write and contribute to Crescent City Sports. And The Bird uh, writes, what are you working on, sir? I am sending in my Lonzo Ball piece this afternoon. So Ooh. that will be there. And I'm thinking that my Jaleel Okafor should be done by Thursday. So both of those will be ready this week. Um, so be on the lookout for those. And, um, you know, we've got actually Chris Connor. Will be joining me tomorrow on the show um, to talk about the the uh, preview of the Bulls game. So, uh, you know, another Bird Rights collaboration there, and uh, so got that coming up, and got the home game on Friday, and Ollie and I'll both be there for that one as well. And then I got LSU and Florida at Tiger Stadium on Saturday, the biggest game um, of the season so mm. far. So I got another busy week, man. Very cool. Uh, I'm writing a Frank Jackson piece right now. Uh, kind of another don't give up on this player yet, which has kind of been my theme so far. Uh, I am very high on Frank Jackson. Don't give and I know. Up on us, baby. <laughs> uh, all right, you guys, it's time for us to get out of here. We're loopy. Uh, remember, share this podcast. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. We greatly appreciate all your help. I'm Preston Ellis. Let's dance and let's go, Pels. for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today